episode 94 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on February 19th, 2019. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week on the show, Game Update 5101, The Wretched Hive is now live. I'll talk about the Hive Queen, companions, and some other bugs not related to the new encounter. BioWare posted an interview with Charles Boyd. I'll tell you what he had to say about the characters from Jedi Under Siege. And finally this week, I like to min-max gear in-game, and now I'm doing it in real life. Details ahead. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed. And you the moron. Thank you, Galt. And welcome to episode 94 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted. As you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. Last week, game update 5101, The Wretched Hive, went live. It's the first major update for 2019, and it features the Hive Queen, level 258 weapons, a host of companion fixes, and it introduced some new bugs not tied to the new operation. Darth Melora may no longer be part of the Dark Council, but before she ran off, she left a little parting gift for us in the form of the Geonosian Hive Queen. If you recall, Darth Melora used mutated Geonosians for the frontline assault on the Jedi colony on Osis. Now, if you've seen the Hive Queen, then you can't help but notice that she looks more like a colicoid than a Geonosian. This wasn't lazy art design on the part of Bioware, but all part of Darth Melora's design. According to the in-game Codex... When designing her mutated Geonosian super soldiers for the assault on Osis, Darth Melora ensured that her new army would be both self-sustaining and nigh impossible to eradicate. Given their insectoid nature, the key to Melora's success was in the careful creation of the mutant's queen. Natural Geonosian queens have poor mobility and defend themselves only via indirect means, thus Melora chose to splice her queen's internal structure into the bodily frame of a colicoid, tremendously increasing the creature's speed and natural defensive capabilities. Like the soldiers it brings to life, the mutated queen also has a reinforced carapace, enhanced sensory organs, and a vicious temperament. The resulting hybrid may well be Melora's most dangerous creation. I haven't had a chance to attempt the boss yet, but my understanding is that story mode is pretty much easy mode, and the majority of the mechanics can be ignored. Veteran mode, on the other hand, is a a different story, and it sounds like you'll want an organized group and some decently geared folks. I don't know if 252 is a must, but it will certainly make life easier. You're probably going to want to find a group to run this in veteran mode as there is a new weekly quest that grants monumental shards, a new currency needed to purchase the 258 weapons. I'll have more to say on the weapons and gear later in the show. It's worth noting that the set bonus issues with the 252 and 258 gear should now be resolved. 
Game Update 5.10 introduced a host of issues for companions in Game Update 5.10.1 now appears to have messed up companion influence for some players. I don't know all the details, but it sounds like it's a bit of an unbarring train wreck right now. While companion influence may be an issue for some, the Wretched Hive did address many outstanding companion issues. Here are some of the things that were broken and are now working again. Only players who supported Kem Val can now recruit him during the Osis storyline. Non-Sith Inquisitor players will no longer be blocked from progressing the infiltration mission on Osis due to incorrectly receiving the Talk to Kem Val step. The current state of Malcolm and Asina, such as dead or alive, will now display properly in the Companions and Contacts interface. Kaleo will no longer show as available for players who banished her. Theron Shan will no longer show as available for players who exiled or killed him. Theron Shan's status will no longer change after completing the Osis storyline. Players who romance Theron Shan will no longer be blocked from progressing the Osis storyline in some situations. Koth will now show as summonable or unavailable respectively based on prior player choice. Koth's status will no longer change after completing the Osis storyline. When starting the Osis storyline, players' faction choice from Iokath will now properly be recognized. Class story companions are no longer duplicated and shown as unavailable in the companions and contacts list. Lana Bonico will no longer show up twice in the inflection point cinematic. Sith warriors who refuse to recruit Lightside Jaysa during Back in the Fold can now recruit her from the companion locator terminal. Players who complete Jaysa's alliance alert will no longer receive both dark and light Jaysa. One thing that wasn't listed in the patch notes but is now fixed is you can redo the recruitment mission for Darth Hexid and get her back. And one final fix from Osis, rubble piles in the ancient Jedi vessel will no longer become uninteractable in some situations during the collected history mission on Osis. No more needing to switch instances to complete this mission. Well, that's it for game update 5.10.1. I can't wait to take on the new Lara boss, and I really can't wait to hear all about game update Next topic is going to be full of intriguing questions for which I don't have any answers. Consider this all food for thought. Once upon a time, there was an idea, and you all know this, called the Galactic Command Initiative. The idea was to bring together a group of remarkable people, that's you guys by the way, and see if they could become something more. See if they could work alone when they needed to, to get the gear they never could. Now, I don't know how many of you out there still believe in this idea, but the real question is, does Bioware still believe in it? You see, with Game Update 5.10 and now with 5.10.1, the Galactic Command Initiative is starting to fracture. For all intents and purposes, Galactic Command has no part in acquiring Tier 5 gear. That goes for both the 252 and 258 levels of gear. Now, the 252 gear is not hard to get, and even if you don't run Master Mode Gods for the Machine, you can still get the 258, albeit at a much slower pace. That's the system we got with Jedi Under Siege. The Wretched Hive's contribution to Tier 5 are the 258 weapons, 
which you can only acquire by defeating the Hive Queen in Veteran Mode or doing Ranked PvP. Now you all know that I don't do Ranked PvP and Veteran Mode likely requires a regular and organized group to defeat, at least for right now anyway. I think for a lot of people the 258 weapons could be well out of reach. And this is a departure from the philosophy of Galactic Command where anyone could obtain the best gear in the game by doing whatever activities they most enjoyed. With an expansion coming later this year, it's worth asking, will Galactic Command be a part of it? World of Warcraft is famous for introducing new systems for each expansion and then throwing them away when they release the next one. They had garrisons in Warlords of Draenor, artifact weapons in Legion, and now Azerite gear in Battle for Azeroth. Throwaway systems are not Bioware style. Knights of the Fallen Empire turned all of the existing flashpoints, operations, and heroics into max level content so abandoning Galactic Command would be an odd move at this point. Still, despite all of the improvements to Galactic Command, the player base has never been fully happy with the system. The next expansion is sure to raise the level cap, and that means Galactic Command will need to change with it. Now, A simple solution would be to continue to make Galactic Command a max level system. You hit the new level cap, and you're earning Galactic Command levels once again, and getting the latest gear, just like when Knights of the Eternal Throne launched. The problem with that is it makes all of the prior progress in Galactic Command feel wasted. It's too much like Sisyphus push, pushing the boulder up the hill. Then there's the issue of existing currency, command tokens, and unassembled components. Do you keep those and let players get a head start on the new gear? It's probably not a good idea. And what about CXP boosts and bonuses? Do those apply to the new levels? And if they do scrap the system, what about the legacy perks that we spent millions of credits on? Again, it would feel like a waste. I know Bioware likes to preserve their systems, but I'm not sure Galactic Command is worth keeping. Jedi Inner Siege and now the Wretched Hive have shown that we can get by just fine without it. With the story returning to its roots of Jedi vs. Sith, perhaps it's time for Bioware to return the endgame to its roots and give us something closer to what we had when the game first launched. Last episode, I talked about Darth Malgus's return and whether or not the Republic needed a figure as big in stature as Malgus to help rally those players who are for the Republic. I talked about Satil Shan possibly being in the natural choice as she was set up as the foil to Malgus when the game launched. I also noted that her journey to Odessa and her behavior while there reminded me a lot of Luke Skywalker's exile in The Last Jedi. And it just seemed to me that her days as head of the Jedi Council and leading them in the fight against the Sith Empire were over. I'm apparently not the only one who feels this way. In an interview that was posted on SWOTOR.com, Charles Boyd said that Tau Ildair, one of the new characters introduced in Jedi Under Siege, is poised to fill the void left by Satil Shan. Here's what Charles had to say about both Tau and Satil. With Tal Ildare, my goal was to introduce someone who could grow to become an iconic hero in the same vein as Satil Shan, since Satil has moved beyond her role as the Republic counterpart to Malgus at this point. 
Tal personifies a lot of the inherent conflicts and challenges of being a Jedi, so I think she'll be a fun and interesting character for players to interact with as the storyline continues to unfold. Now, I like Tao a lot. I didn't quite see her ready to step into the role of a leader, though. She's still very much a Jedi Knight and not a Jedi Master. She has a long way to go before deserving a seat on the Jedi Council, let alone becoming head of it. Based on what we saw from Tao in Jedi Under Siege, she certainly doesn't see herself as a leader just yet. Before you go, Tao, we need to finish our discussion about your Padawan. Now? Really? This feels like a good time. It is always a good time to learn, teach, and grow. We already had this discussion, which is why I don't have a Padawan. You don't want more Jedi like me. One is bad enough. You think that if so many good Jedi die and you survive, then you must not be a good Jedi. You think that the reason you've survived your skill in battle is the only skill you've mastered, so you must be a bad Jedi. But the only lesson you need to learn is that you are more than the killer you see in yourself. Teach, and you will see just how much more. You believe in me more than anyone I've known, and, and I appreciate that, but I'm just not ready. If she's uncomfortable taking one Padawan under her wing, how can she lead the entire Order? This is exactly why Tao is such an interesting character. She's very different than Satil, and even if Tao grows over the course of the story, she'll be a very different leader than Satil. Tao is not a traditional Jedi. She's a warrior. While we've seen countless Jedi shed blood and take lives over the years, Tao seems to embrace this as a way of ending conflict. Not in a dark way, perhaps, but a belief that violence and death doesn't have to be a last resort, especially if it means saving more lives. The Republic is about to engage in another war with the Sith Empire. The Jedi's existence and Republic's way of life are once again at risk. So for now, maybe a warrior Jedi is just what the Republic needs. Tao is poised to become a controversial figure within the Jedi, and I can't wait to see if she galvanizes the Order or becomes a polarizing figure at a time when the Sith Empire appears to have its affairs in order. Now, Tao Ildera wasn't the only new character to join the Old Republic. There were two military figures in General Dayrun for the Republic and Major Henri for the Empire. For General Dayrun, Charles said he wanted to do something a little different. According to Charles, I feel like we've historically overdone it a bit on the number of Republic authority figures who are morally questionable, ends justify the means types, probably because they're so fun to write. So Dayrun is meant to go the other direction, embodying all that's good and noble about the Republic and its goals. I really liked him a lot. He doesn't strike me as someone who has spent a lot of time on the front lines of the battlefield, yet at the same time you get the sense that he's an incredible strategist. I can picture walking into his office and seeing a hollow chessboard lit up with a half-played game and the figures positioned for a complex and delicate next move. The final new character was Major Henri, and Charles said that Major Henri is meant to show how the Empire has evolved over time, to the point that an alien and former slave can now become a decorated military officer. I also really wanted to include the perspective of an everyday citizen, rather than a Sith, as part of this update, so that players could feel like they were getting a more complete picture of the Empire's current status. In addition to all of the new characters, Charles talked about all of the returning characters and why they chose to bring back the ones that they did. Regarding Darth Malgus, Charles said, 
I didn't want to bring him back until his return would feel like a natural part of the story. Now that we've returned to the core conflict of Republic versus Sith Empire that Malgus himself originally kicked off, it seemed like the right time to bring him back into the fold. For Jedi Master Nostaral, Charles said that Master Nostaral is an interesting case and in that he never actually appeared in the game before this update, but was a major character in our pre-release timeline videos, as well as Drew Karpishin's Swotor novel, Annihilation. It was actually Drew who suggested using Nostaral when I was first outlining the Jedi Under Siege storyline. Given the setting of Osis and the goal of preserving the Jedi and their teachings for the future, he was just a perfect fit of character and story. And then there was Darth Melora. Charles said Melora was probably the one character in this update that no one expected to see again, given that her previous role was fairly minor. I needed a Sith who was focused on biology, and ideally someone whose career had started around the same time as the Sith players, so that they would feel more like a contemporary rather than a superior. And I love that Melora would automatically have a bit of history with players who had completed her mission on Korriban, so she was a perfect fit. I've said this many times before, characters like Darth Melora are one of the reasons why I love this game. The writing team does a wonderful job of taking these minor characters and cultivating them into something bigger. And they do it in a way that feels organic to the story. It's not forced. They don't bring back a character for the sake of bringing them back. They always have a purpose. I just love it, and it gives me hope that we may one day see the triumphant return of Captain Jilg. I used to be respected, you know. My word carried weight. One tiny mistake and suddenly no one trusts me. My troops were acting strangely, plotting something. Obviously they were traitors. All the warning signs were there. The smart move was to kill them all. How could I know they were planning a surprise party for my promotion? Well, that's a rundown of all the new and returning characters from Osis. I encourage you to check out the full interview on SWOTOR.com as Charles answered questions about what he was excited to put in Jedi Under Siege, what they did differently on Osis, and what he's excited for in 2019. Spoiler alert, it's stuff he can't talk about right now. This final topic for today is a little off-topic. Well, not entirely, but you are going to learn more about tennis rackets than you probably ever wanted or needed to know. You cannot be serious! Oh, I'm totally serious, Mr. McEnroe. You see, I spent this past weekend turning my living room into a sports lab where I conducted science. Poorly, but science nonetheless. Turns out that just like our in-game gear, tennis rackets have stats. Lots of them. There's static weight, swing weight, twist weight, recoil weight, balance point, and M-G-R-I-E-I-E-I-O. And all those stats can be modded to enhance the performance of the racket. Now it should be noted the performance of the racket and the performance of the player are two different things. It's a tennis racket, not Thor's mighty hammer. Still, there are benefits to customizing a racket regardless of your level of play. In fact, customizing rackets is something that all professional tennis players do. Believe it or not, they don't actually use the same rackets that you and I play with. Novak Djokovic, the number one ranked player in the world, endorses the Graphene 360 Speed Pro made by Head. 
He doesn't actually use it, though. What Djokovic uses is a head pro stock PT113B mold. It's painted to look like the racket he endorses, but it's a completely different racket. Pro stock rackets tend to be very lightweight and have minimal stats. The reason for this is the way you modify a racket is to apply lead tape to strategic points on the racket frame and grip. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but the most important stat on a racket is swing weight. Pros customize their rackets to have very high swing weights, usually in the range of 350 and higher. To put this in context, the rackets that you and I play with have swing weights in the range of 315 to 325. Now, there are machines you can use to measure the swing weight of a racket, but as you can imagine, they're quite expensive. Luckily, there are apps and spreadsheets that you can use to calculate swing weight. You just have to spend some time taking measurements, hanging the racket by a couple of strings, giving it a tap, and then timing how long it takes the racket to make 10 swings. And thus was my weekend as I wanted to get my swing weight up around 330 without adding too much weight to the racket. Ended up adding about 10 total grams of weight, so my racket now weighs 334 grams and has an approximate swing weight of 335. So you're probably asking yourself, what's the point of all this? Answer my question! Yes, yes, I'm getting to that. The question, jerk! Before I played World of Warcraft and Star Wars The Old Republic, I used to play tennis. And when it came to rackets, I usually just purchased something uh, that looked nice or was popular. I always tried it first to truly make sure I liked it, but I didn't spend any amount of time customizing it. Back in those days, I didn't even know rackets had stats. Around 18 years ago, I quit tennis, and eventually, raiding became my new tennis. And once I started raiding, I discovered the world of min-maxing. And ever since, I've put in an inordinate amount of time perfecting the stats on my characters, attempting to squeeze every ounce of DPS out of them that I could. Now that I've returned to tennis, I found myself approaching the game much in the same way that I do Star Wars The Old Republic. When I started playing MMOs, I took some of the lessons and experience I learned from life and applied them to the game, mostly around organizing and running guilds. I've now played MMOs long enough that I'm applying things I've learned in these virtual worlds to my real life. The circle is now complete. And if you're looking for a sport or something new to try, I highly encourage you to take up tennis. It's an elegant sport for a more civilized age, where two combatants can go head-to-head, -head, leave nothing on the court, and when all is said and done, shake hands in the ultimate display of respect and sportsmanship. Man, you better shut your f up, okay? Lenny, Lenny. Hey, Stefanos, you want to look at me and talk? Lenny, Lenny, Lenny. You have some problems? You go emergency toilet for Lenny, five minutes, Jürgen, and then you say, and you, then you hit let and you don't say sorry, you think you're a good kid? Look at me. Lenny, hey, look at me, huh? Lenny. You don't look Lenny. at me. He started it. He started it. I know, but stop. He started it. Yes, but. Yes, he started it. He said, bull Russian. You think this is normal? I answered him because he doesn't know how to fight. He's a small kid who doesn't know how to fight. If he doesn't say anything, I have no problems with him. But if he says something to me and he wants to fight, he needs to do it. He doesn't look at me That, by the way, was an exchange between Russian tennis player Daniel Medvedev and Greek player Stefanos Tsitsipas after their match in Miami last year. Medvedev won in three sets. Final note for today, 
One last item from Bioware's interview with Charles Boyd. Charles said that they were able to get some dynamic weather effects on Osis, something that's totally new for SWOTOR, and he's looking forward to expanding on that more on future planets. I can't say that I noticed it myself. I'll have to pay closer attention the next time I run through the story and do the dailies. Oh, and don't forget, there's a double XP event happening in-game right now. And that's the state of the Old Republic for today. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 94 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is sotarpodcast.com, and there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions too at sotorpodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 95. Let's be optimistic and say next week. Until then, remember the Sith Code. Cake is a lie.